Hey guys, it's LGBTQ and A, where we get to know different members of the LGBTQ community. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and I'm here today with Ira Madison III. Ira is a writer, among many other things, currently writing for MTV News. Stay tuned. Hey, Ira. Hi, Jeff. Hey. Thanks for having me today. Oh, my God. I'm so excited to talk. Welcome to our show. It's lovely. I love this studio. Thank you. You looked a little surprised when you walked in. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't know that I was going to be on camera today. I'm sorry about that. But, you know, if you stay ready, it's okay. you don't have to get ready. You look great. Don't worry Thank about you. it. Thank you. So, I gotta say, I've read a lot of your stuff uh, for a while. I think your piece on Moonlight is one of my favorites. Thank you. Done. Yeah, you're welcome. That I mean, that movie on its whole just, like, was, like took my breath away Mm -hmm. I'm thinking specifically of like the line of like what is a faggot yeah and that whole exchange but um I really enjoyed what you said about it too Mm -hmm. in your piece you wrote that um like the about the performative acts of masculinity that come with blackness Mm -hmm. do you think that's been compounded though also being gay on top of that um yeah I mean definitely um that piece was really hard to write um, not just because, like, the movie gave me such a, like, emotional response, but um, I personally am friends with Terrell McCraney, who wrote the script that original, that then was adapted into Moonlight, so he's up for story by credit at the Oscars this Sunday. Um, and I just felt like I really wanted to do his film justice, um, and I ended up being proud of um, the piece, and I think that, yeah, it's hard because, um, you know, as men, we're always, you know, sort of performing these acts in public. Um, it's harder being gay, and it's harder being gay and black doing sort of all three of those things, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And that, thankfully, you knew Terrell. Thankfully, the movie was good. Yes. Uh, if it was not good, it would have been a very difficult piece to write. Or I would have ignored it, actually. I would, um, have, written, yeah. I would have written nothing about it. Yes, that never happened. How did you know Terrell before this? Uh, we, we've we met through mutual friends, and we're both writers, so, you know. Oh, great. Now, did you ever see the play, though, when it was put up? No, so it actually wasn't even a play. Like, it's, it's, a lot of people discuss it as a play or they discuss it as a script. Uh, he actually wrote it as part of like a workshop and it was never actually produced. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, so the thing that Barry Jenkins read was not, was not like a produced play or anything. More props to Barry Jenkins then. Yeah. Wow. Also, I, I I was just honestly like blown away when I found out that Barry Jenkins was straight. Yeah, to yeah. be completely honest. Me too. I mean, disappointed, to be honest. <laughs> uh, more so than blown away. Yeah. It just captured so many things about queer life yeah. and uh, the the effort it takes to be in the closet yeah. and how it shuts down not just your sexuality when you're hiding that, but like so many other aspects of yourself. Like, the movie just, just got that. Mm-hmm. I was just so impressed by that. Yeah, me too. Um, I was definitely surprised, but I think that the relationship between Barry and Terrell and just sort of their mutual upbringing in Miami just sort of allowed them to work together absolutely beautifully I mean it would be great to see more um, movies like that I guess you know because um, 
we see so many movies like you know gay films like Brokeback Mountain or something that you know may not come from a gay sort of artist and it's nice when you can sort of feel the collaboration when you want something like you can tell a queer person was involved in making it as opposed to you know we see it all the time I agree <laughs> yeah I also think that um tell me if when this gets offensive it's not offensive i think that uh black audiences and people of color are have been trained to like see themselves in other stories that do not um particularly show themselves on screen oh, because the, you know, the it's just not there always mm-hmm. and so i was so like livid to hear like white critics be like what well, wasn't made for me like yeah. there's nothing in there for me and i'm like mm-hmm. no we we can relate to other stories yeah that's always sort of a weird sort of viewpoint to me because everyone who isn't, you know, a straight white male doesn't see themselves in the cinema all the time, you know, like how many of us grew up watching, you know, Die Hard or like Film Noir, you know, or, you know, any of the classic like film genres that we all love that don't have anyone but, you know, a white male lead in it and then sort of a white woman as sort of the tertiary character, you know? And so, like, everyone has been trained to watch films that don't have themselves yeah. on camera. So it's always odd when someone's like, you know, I don't think this is for me. And there's a difference in recognizing that something wasn't made for you and with you in mind and being able to, like, not relate to it. You know, a lot of people say that with sort of... Beyonce with Lemonade, you know? It's like, oh, this wasn't for me, or, you know, it wasn't for white audiences, so maybe that's why it didn't win the Grammy or something. But it's sort of, you can understand that something was made for a specific audience and still see the universality. I agree. It, you know? Yeah. In, in your piece, too, about Moonlight, you wrote that um, about loving yourself as a political mm-hmm. act. And, you know, we talk about Black Lives Matter a lot, and um, necessarily, but Mm -hmm. I've never heard it put in such simple base terms as we're just looking to love ourselves. Yeah. Um, That's something that I think started with sort of shows that um, films and sort of television shows that revolved around women, actually. I think that it was novel when you started seeing shows like Sex in the City, you're living single, and it showed women having sexual relationships, women sort of loving themselves and who they are. And now you see shows like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend or Girls where the lead characters don't have the typical Hollywood body either. And, you know, it's sort of almost a political act to see them having, you know, relationships. I remember the... um Fervor that happened from the episode, you know, where Lena Dunham and Patrick Wilson in a girls episode, you know, like spent the entire episode just sort of like in a relationship and having sex in the house and, you know, sort of whatever you may think about that episode. Um, it reminds me a bit of when you show black characters having relationships on TV, when you show black gay characters having relationships on TV. Um, and in films, it's, you know, sort of an act to show that, you know, we can experience the same things that other people do. And, you know, we're we're still sort of in a point where we don't really have the, um, we don't really have the 
girls or crazy ex-girlfriend thing of, you know, where you see different types of gay people yet. Right. I mean, there's sort of like, I don't know, that one on Modern Family or something. Um, but, you know, they usually look the same. Um, even the guys in Moonlight, like, they're hot, you know? So, um, you know, soon enough we'll get to that point. Yeah, now. I always feel like every TV show gives you one. Yeah. And you're like, oh, but I don't relate to this one. And they're like, well, we can't put two on screen together. Like, are you crazy? Yeah. Like, that can't want sell tickets. Yeah. It's, I don't know. <laughs> but um, in the piece also, you mentioned growing up in Milwaukee. And yes. you name check Jeffrey Dahmer, mm-hmm. which surprised me. Were you growing up then while he was, like, murdering people? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's wild. Um, I was um, probably about five or so when he was arrested. So, um, and we lived sort of in that area, too. So it was very much something that you lived with during that period in Milwaukee. Like, it was creepy. Yeah, and then after he was caught, like, it showed the extent of the murders and that he targeted mainly black people and then he had sexual relations with them. Black and Latino men were his large, um, you know, sort of base of people that he killed. And it was sort of you know, weird to understand that, like, if anyone had sort of cared about queer people of color in Milwaukee at that time, then he would have been caught earlier. It's so interesting having such a specific thing to point to, mm-hmm. also in your own upbringing. Yeah. Like, that, that's something I imagine that, like, had a big effect and that people talked about for a while. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I mean, in, like, smaller things, I think it, like, influenced probably my interest in, like, horror movies and, like, true crime and stuff like that, like, I always go back to, like, that weird just sort of thinking about that mystery. Because, you know, like, that happened as a kid in Milwaukee and it's so huge and then, like, you know, just, like, a couple years later or so, you have the O.J. Simpson trial, you know? So it was, like, there was just these big sort of events that I remember as a child that just revolved around, like, murder on TV. And, and that's fascinating that, like, looking in the media, you're not really seeing yourself, but mm-hmm. looking on the news. Yeah, you're seeing yourself the news, in you see yourself. traumatic situations. Yeah. Oh, that's a really crazy dichotomy. Yeah. Wow. And also just, like, the fact that Jeffrey Dahmer, it's this kind of queer thing targeting mainly black kids. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I mean, that's... I, I was looking him up this weekend, uh-huh. and it, um, I was home alone. It was, like, Saturday night at, like, 9 o'clock, and I looked at my front door to make sure it was locked, and I was like, okay, this man was behind bars and killed. Like, <laughs> I'm fine, yeah. but still, like, I wanted to know for my peace of mind that my front door was locked. Yeah, I mean, that is sort of something that happens in our communities. Um, there was... You know, I wrote a play um, a few years back, actually, that was inspired by a serial killer in San Francisco with um, the very silly name of the Doodler. That wasn't his actual name? They called him the Doodler because he was an artist and, you know, he drew, like, doodles of, like, his victims. Um, And he would meet, you know, men in San Francisco. This was during the 70s, so a lot of these men were closeted. And... You know, he would draw them, and I think that's how he, like, sort of lured them in or whatever, and then killed them. Um, And there were a couple men that actually escaped from him, but, you know, if you know that period very well, um, 
if you admitted that you escaped from this man and he tried to kill you because he was a serial killer targeting gay men, you would have had to have outed yourself as a gay man in the 70s, which, you know, a lot of men couldn't do at that point. Um, So it's, you know, it's stuff like that when you think about how it's easy to prey on marginalized communities. You know, that's sort of why the death rate is so high, you know, for trans people of color, you know, because it's so hard for one to get people to care um, because they think it has nothing to do with them. And it's so much easier for people to prey on people in communities who just sort of aren't represented. Um, There was a news report this week about the fact that um, teen suicide rates have gone down um, in gay teens just because of marriage equality. And I think that's just like a direct line that shows that when you see yourself on the news and in the media in a positive light, it affects your life. Yeah. And with these marginalized communities, like trans women of color you mentioned, these are people who are, it's hard for them to advocate for themselves because they're already advocating for um, like employment and yeah. not, for housing discrimination. On top of that, to then advocate for not being killed on the street, it's mm-hmm. like, how much work do we need to do? Yeah. You know, it's um, one of the biggest, I think, uh, I want to remember who said this. Um, it might have been I forget who said it. Um, it was a black woman. It was a writer. Um, and she said, you know, the biggest... It might have been Claudia Ranking. Uh, I just read Citizen. Um, so it might have been in this. But um, just sort of one of the biggest sort of um, goals of just sort of like racism is just like how much it steals time away from people. You're constantly you know, advocating for yourself while also, you know, reminding people, you know, like, I'm getting fired at work or, you know, I'm being discriminated against, like, um, in housing and, um, you know, we're politically having our voting rights or things targeted, you know, and it's when people are constantly focused on things like that, it's hard to be like, oh, also, you know, there's this person killing a bunch of us maybe pay attention to that and it's um yeah it's just it's difficult that's very interesting you you mentioned a play you wrote i find it really compelling in your work that you talk about plays and playwrights you wrote about Solange and tied her to a black theatrical tradition. Mm-hmm. You've talked about August Wilson a lot, uh, Iago, uh, Donald Trump from yeah. Othello. Uh, is that your background, playwriting? Yeah. Um, well, I went to Loyola Chicago for undergraduate, um, where I sort of did theater uh, for my undergraduate degree. And I started doing playwriting in high school, actually, um, because I wanted, I thought I wanted to be an actor, uh, but I never got cast in anything. And then I was like, I love theater so much, so I was like, let me start writing my own things. And that's sort of how I, you know, became a playwright. And then I went to um, NYU, Tisch, for graduate school, where I got my master's degree in dramatic writing. So um, theater and playwriting has been a huge part of my life. Interesting. I saw that you posted a picture um, from Berlin that you wrote a play there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, my first new one since that gay one that I mentioned um, 
I mean, I guess this one's gay too. But um, I, it was my first one in, you know, in like a few years. So, you know, it was a awful first draft that I wrote, <laughs> you know, while drunk traveling Europe for a few weeks on vacation. But I have hopes that by the end of the year, it will turn into something uh, producible. Very cool. D- would we recognize it as your own work? Like knowing your your essays and your articles? Yeah, you know, I, I'm my writing is very much me and my personality. Um, it's the same how you know, like when people see sort of my online personality and then they meet me. It's it's the same thing. Uh, I am would not be good at being you know a superhero because I'm not good at you know being a masked person. Uh, everything about me is very much an open book sometimes too much that's very funny <laughs> do you ever does do people's reactions and responses to your work does that do you ever think about that does that bother you um you know usually I just read the positive responses um I tend to not read a lot of responses to my work what about um, things that you can't ignore like after your Jeff Sessions tweet um yeah you know um Sometimes there are things that you can't ignore, you know? There are sometimes where, um, you know, we're, we're in such a weird political climate now where um, people on the right can sort of... You see it with people like Milianopoulos. Um, I don't know how to pronounce his fucking name. Um, you see it with people like him. Um, you know, people like... Um, Tammy, Lauren, um, my hero. You know, uh, you we they sort of thrive on creating chaos, like in our lives. Like we've gotten to this weird point where, like, you know, we defend free speech so much that we, you know, see people even who are supposed to be on our side defending people when they say hateful things about us, um, and. I think that sometimes it's hard to ignore that. Um, luckily, when I went to Europe, I was able to turn off a lot of you know the noise. I feel like there's just a lot of noise online these days, um, and you know that's why writing and that's why watching films like Moonlight and stuff has been very helpful. You know in just sort of reminding ourselves of our humanity and what we should really be caring about. I agree. And it's nice escapes. But that being said, I have found it recently hard to care. Mm-hmm. I mean, like pop culture and politics, it's becoming the same thing. Mm-hmm. But the pop culture side of that, um, like our lives are intersecting with history. Yeah. And when Trump signed the executive order in the immigration ban targeting Muslims, it was the same day as the SAG Awards. You know, like, how dare he do that to the SAG Awards? Doesn't he know? <laughs> um, no, but I was like, I cannot imagine caring about the SAG Awards today. Yeah. Or like, I mean, something like that. Who could imagine ever caring about the SAG Awards, <laughs> to be honest? But, uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm just, I'm upset about... Um, awards sometimes <laughs> when people don't get the awards that they deserve but um, I know it's hard to care about some of these things but you know we have to remember that 
by not caring about them, by not continuing on with our lives, you know, it's like letting the terrorists win. Yeah. Like, I don't know. You know, it's I'm, like we have to we have to go along with these things, but we also, you know, should use these moments as opportunities to sort of be political and let people know yeah. what we're thinking. Uh, and we have to remind ourselves too, like, you know, we're we're fired up about Trump right now, but um the past few years where people weren't feeling very political and weren't using their platforms to say anything. It's not like stuff wasn't happening in the world, you know? Um, now people are aware that things are happening and maybe they will keep showing up now. It's, um, like, unbelievable the amount of political engagement of our generation. Yeah. And I want, I want to see, like, will that translate to action and how long will this hold up? Let's hope so. Yeah. I just have never seen so Dropped much. the ball a bit after we elected Obama. Um, but I think people are getting re-energized again. Yeah. So. I think, too, like, I, I, it's not that I don't care, per se, about pop culture, but I've lost the ability to, um, like, think too hard about it. Like, Lady Gaga at Super Bowl. Her performance was nice. It was fine. She did a good job. I didn't have the heart to critique it. I was like, I just want to move on, you know? Yeah, you know, um... <laughs> Well, it's my job to, so I, I had to, but, um, you know, I can understand that, but, um... What, what are your guidelines? Are you, uh, can you write about anything you want? Uh, I tend to write about what interests me in culture. Um, you know, my job title is culture writer, so I, um, you know, I take sort of what interests me in, you know, pop culture, in politics... Um, in music culture and just sort of like the lives that we live and, you know, let it inform what I write about. And I hope that my writing, you know, and how I view culture helps, you know, people to see it in different ways or helps them, you know, to sort of um, approach things differently, I guess. Um, I think culture writing is very important. Um, and I think it's been a part of, you know, it's a very important part of journalism as well. And I think it's it's been around, you know, for centuries. So I don't think it's going anywhere. No, uh, of course not. And there, you know, there will always be people to analyze what's going on and place it in a historical context, place it in a pop culture context. Um, and I think that's necessary, you know, Um Rachel Maddow was just on the um, Jesus and Miro show on Viceland, and she talked about how, you know, every day is Trump, 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 and it's, um, we're dealing also with sort of unprecedented things, you know, like we've never had a president, you know, who was in collusion with a foreign power um, <laughs> to sway an election, and it's it's great to sort of be in this position to when we don't have precedence for something to be like, oh, he's doing this like Obama did. He's doing this like Nixon did. Um, it's great to be able to look to film, to television, to look at the imaginations of people who have endured history or, you know, people in other cultures who have endured the same types of regimes and written about it or put it into their art 
um, I feel like the role of the culture writer is to take that information and present it for people, you know, to sort of learn something, to learn what's going on in the world now. And that's sort of why I think our jobs are important. And I would urge people, you know, sure, you can, th- there's always time to take time and find out what Rita Ora is up to, you know, but, um, you know, don't always group in culture writing with, you know, the sort of like, um, you know, Jessica from so-and-so ABC show is having a baby, you know, it's, um, there's ways to contextualize culture and make it immediate and important to people. Yeah, and I love that right now we are recognizing culture um, as being more than just the prestige television. Mm -hmm. You know, so like you're able to write this essay about Moonlight and um, about uh, Othello in New York and you're also able to write about Finding Prince Charming. Yeah, you know. Like I want to see everything. Yeah, I mean, I I just wrote something today about... um, Fifty Shades of Grey, you know, and tied it into what um, is going on in culture right now. It's everything's a byproduct of the times that we live in, even if you think it's not. You know, even an episode of Empire is, you know, important in our cultural context because it's people creating conversations. Um, Around what's happening to them. Yeah. Is that a challenge for you to place why X project is important now and, and like put it in a historical context? Like how off, how challenging is that for you? Or have you just been doing it so long it's easy? It's, it's you know, sometimes it's ready and apparent. You know, if you see a moonlight, if you see 20th century women, um, if you see, um, you know, that musical um, that I think is nominated for some Oscars. You know um, the name of it. <laughs> I can't recall. It's La La Land. <laughs> um, if you, you know, if you see one of those, you immediately know sort of what place it has in culture. You know, um, I think, like I said, it takes people who actually care about culture. <coughs> Sorry. And want to let other people know, you know, different ways of approaching things. Um, to sort of, you have to take a way inside a different way and be like, um, you know, I can pull some importance from this, you know. I can watch an episode of Riverdale and see, you know, like, how this story might relate to, you know, someone in Idaho who's struggling with their sexuality, you know. It's like, it's just little things. Caring about the world and being curious about the world will help you in anything you do, but especially as a writer. Yeah. You can tell when someone has no curiosity curiosity about the world around them. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I am envious of how much I perceive culture to, um, like, affect and have an impact on you. Uh-huh. And, how, like, I, do you think you are affected by it more than other people? Um, like, for instance, I saw you the day that Prince died, mm-hmm. and you were pretty, like, torn up about it, and you were able to articulate his impact on your life and what he meant to you. Mm-hmm. And um, I, like, I don't want to sound callous, but I don't have that experience with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm envious of it. Oh, well, I mean, it's hard. You know, it's hard to grapple with emotion of, like, you know, one of your favorite artists dying. 
um, and then having to write about it immediately. You know, um, Prince, George Michael. Uh, it's it's been sort of it's been a tough year. Yeah, um, to write about these things. Um, yeah, and actually, I want to amend what I said in case I sound too heartless. It's like only like half heartless. Um, <laughs> I think I've been more affected by live theatrical experiences that I've seen, especially mm. when I'm not expect- expecting it. Like last year, I saw Kathy Rigby in uh, Seussical the Musical, and I was expecting to roll my eyes all the time and just whatever. Um, and I was blown away. She like like the, the ten thousand hour rule. She has had that many hours on stage, and she is magical to watch. This and it was such a, a joy. It's a good musical. Yeah, but she was an, <laughs> her particularly. It was amazing to watch. Okay. And like that, I was like, oh my god! Like Kathy Rigby, like where do I sign up? Yeah. Uh, so things like that affect me, but um, it takes more prolonged exposure per se for something to have an impact on me. Mm-hmm. Or I guess like something like Prince. You listen to his music for a while. Yeah. But. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just thinking about um, like meaning and artists in their work, mm-hmm. and I think it's a gift for it to like to affect you, to yeah. make you think, per se. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does that sound silly? No, no, right. not at all. I've had to recently teach my brain that uh, if I like an artist or a piece of work, that it was a conscious thing to be like, let's then look and see what else they've done. Uh-huh. You know, like that didn't uh, like. My brain did not connect those dots originally. Well, now you're doing it. Yeah, so, I am. Yeah. <laughs> that feels silly, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned Prince. I see the Prince tattoo. Oh, yes. I on your Prince arm. Tattoo. Yes. Um, what else is on there? I see, like, more hidden on your sleeve. It's Prince, um, Batman, Spider-Man, and then Hall & Oates, my favorite band. So all of your cultural references. Yes. <laughs> They're all on my body. <laughs> um, oh, that's funny. Uh, why Spider-Man? Uh, it's my favorite superhero sort of what got me in the comic books and into, you know, fantasy and imagining different worlds that weren't our own. Wow. You've written about how you didn't have a relationship with your father growing up, so you yeah. kind of learned how to be a man looking at, like, a media and pop culture. Yeah. Was, like, Spider-Man the superhero a part of that? Um, maybe not Spider-Man. Um, I mean, his uncle died. <laughs> um, but, you know... Um, I don't know, just, like, reading and culture and just sort of digesting it, um, you know, it, it can become replacements for things that are missing in your life. Yeah. Superheroes are a good uh, role model. Yeah. Um, when did you find uh, soap operas? Um, Specifically Dynasty. Like, as a child. Really? Yeah. Um, my family grew up watching them, so you would see them on TV as a kid. So Okay. I, I'm just fascinated by the fact of, like, specific cultural aspects that are so queer mm-hmm. and how we find them as kids before we even know that they're queer. Yeah. There's not a handbook where they're saying, fine <laughs> dynasty. Yeah. You know, but we're still drawn to them. Uh-huh. I think it's largely, you know, because these are a lot of the um, pop culture that we sort of identify as um, queer shows that don't necessarily have queer characters in them or sort of like big bold ones that have um you know large personalities and maybe focus on women more than you know other typical entertainment um and if it's something that you grew up you know watching with your mom you know you know you might naturally sort of gravitate towards something like that you know it's something there's always just sort of that idea that we're watching something that's like 
we're not supposed to. Not like you're not supposed to watch Dynasty because it's a it was a popular TV show, um, but it's you know it's like oh you know it's a it's a primetime soap you know it's for like women to watch like late at night you know and so like if you're a gay male watching that show it's sort of like I'm taking part you know in this sort of counterculture moment. Oh fascinating. Yeah. And did I read they're trying to work on a remake of Dynasty? There is a remake of Dynasty coming to the CW. Oh wow. I As a business person I'm like remakes they make money they have audiences but as the other side of me I'm like let's not like like redo everything fantastic yeah but you know uh, the creator of Gossip Girl is doing it so it might be good you have high hopes it looks like I am you know pleasantly optimistic you will tune in I will tune in do you, do you, what won't I tune in for yeah well <laughs> I have a short list <laughs> do you are you consuming like a lot of culture books TV movies constantly, constantly? yeah yeah it, it be, it be, it's your job, but also you enjoy it, right? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't do it if I didn't enjoy it. Okay. <laughs> what What was, like, the last great book you read? Uh, the last great book I read was um, Zadie Smith's Swing Time. I read it when I was in um, London. Oh, that is sitting on my nightstand. I've not opened it yet. That's fantastic. Oh, my God. I love her. Yeah. She, I, yeah, have you heard her speak also in interviews? Yeah. She's the most, like, beautiful, magical voice. Yeah. Kind of like Maya Angelou, like, tones. <laughs> oh, my God, I love that. Um, I have another question about your father, if that's okay. You don't mind me asking. Sure. It's not about him specifically, but... He'll never hear this, so... Um, did he die? To or, me. Okay, sure. Is that a, <laughs> sorry, is that a weird thing to ask? <laughs> uh, I ask because uh, you're Ira Madison Third. Yes. You have his name. Um, no. You do not have his name. Uh, Ira was my uncle's name. Oh, he was Ira Madison. He was Ira the second. Oh, so how are you? Was so that was a conscious choice? I'm guessing your mom. Yeah, it's been like a conscious choice of our family. Like it's Ira has been passed down through uncles in my family. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So it's not up to you to have a son named Ira. I mean, I might. <laughs> it's up for a debate. It's TBD. Can we say that TBD? Well, I need a man first. So, <laughs> are you on the prowl? Um, I am never on the prowl, to be honest. Like, I'm too lazy to be on the prowl. So how do you meet people? I don't know. Do you meet people? Uh, I don't meet people. I don't know. I meet my friends. All right. Yeah. I don't know. I I mean, it's... I I would rather watch, like, the Santa Clarita diet uh, (laughs) on my couch than, you know, try and find a man. Is that... Does that show good? First off, <laughs> it's fine. It's an, it's enjoyable. I uh, love the creator. So yeah. Oh, really? Okay. He created Better Off Ted, which was a very funny. ABC oh, I never sitcom. saw that. Yeah. Uh, do you, you're such a prolific tweeter. <laughs> Is, uh, did you ever like meet guys that way? I have. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm wondering if that has. Like, I've had some DM moments. <laughs> Who has it? Ricky Martin's making ways right now. <laughs> Is he? <laughs> he just announced this week that he uh, met his fiance through the DMs. <sighs> okay, well... You're next. He could have DM'd me, but... I think you're the second choice, probably. Probably, yeah. 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 He was probably like, if he doesn't respond, I'm going to DM Ira. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought it was so fascinating, too, speaking of Twitter, that you've said that it is an, a, like a necessity for like black life. That you've gotten so much out of it. I, I'm fascinated by that because I also find it to be so hostile to, like, minorities. Yeah, it's so weird. Um, the people who use Twitter the most are um, people of color. 
um, and the people who are directly harassed the most on Twitter are people of color, which is sometimes when it's funny, you know, when white people talk about, um, you know, I'm getting a lot of harassment on Twitter, I really need to get off. It's like, deal with that every day. Particularly black women deal with that, like, a lot every day. Um, and it's, you know, it's harassment's there for everyone. Um, and it's there to stay, too, you know? Like, I don't know, that Twitter CEO talked about how, like, Donald Trump is good for business, so, you know. That's true. What, is it really more, there are more minorities on Twitter? Um, we're the most active users. Oh, really? Yeah. I did not realize that. There, I think there may be less, but they're more active than, like, white people use Twitter. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, they're statistics. <laughs> Check the them. numbers. Um, these are all facts. <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, that's okay. That's fascinating. Yeah. Well, and why do you call it essential? Is it the connections and like yeah, the I community? Mean, I think I wrote that in like a Black Mirror piece, uh, and maybe I was like um, being you know overzealous with my wording. Um, it's it's essential in the ways that you know like um, it's formed communities for me. You know, it it, it helped me um, sort of raise my profile and get me writing jobs. You know, and it's given me some of the friends I have, you know? Um, so, yeah, I'm for my life, um, Twitter's been very helpful. Wow. Has, does the controversy through, like, social media, does that ultimately help, like, raise your profile? Um, I mean, all press is good press, I guess, but, you know, I try to court controversy less these days okay, in yeah. 2017. <laughs> I mean, it's unfortunate that, like, when you Google your name now, like, Breitbart News is on the first page. Um, not anymore. Oh, really? Yeah, not anymore. Never mind. Yeah. St- I was on vacation. I wasn't writing anything, but now I am, so it's back to... St- state-sponsored news. This will Breitbart, be the first yeah. thing that'll pop up when you Google me now, probably. I don't know about that, but we can po- possibly. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. Um, you were talking about your plays earlier. Is there anything else coming up? Like, is that, Are you hoping to like, put those on stage at some point? Um, this play that I was working on um, will potentially be produced in Los Angeles. Self-produced, maybe. That's how I did... My last play, which was called Gay for Pay, I did that in 2013. That was The Doodler? Yeah, it was inspired by The Doodler. Um, and, you know, that one was self-produced. So, um, and I did that when I was far broker than I am now. So maybe I could do self-production again, but I also have less time than I did back then. So, um, yeah, somebody wants to put up Iron Madison III's hot new play. Can you tease the name? Let me know. Um, I don't have a title for it, actually. You know, um, I can just say that it was inspired by um, our current president, um, his administration. (laughs) It's set in Berlin. It involves gay expats who have um, departed America. And... um, How James Baldwin of you. Yeah, so... That's exciting. Yeah. Um, th- that's awesome. Thank you for being here and doing this. Thank you for having me. This is so much fun. Um, the good people can find you on Twitter at Ira. Yes, at Ira. Should we send them anywhere else? Um, no, don't go anywhere else. Don't well, unless go you want to like follow me on Instagram. What is that? King Ira. Ira, Ira. There's it's three, three Iras. <laughs> so. Amazing. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. And I'm on Twitter at JeffMasters1, and you can find all of our previous interviews on iTunes and, of course, YouTube. We'll see you next week. 
from executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff. We would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only. They do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.